0: Hello everyone. This is Trevor with Tea Time Reports. Doing a little solo episode this evening. It is four twenty-five twenty-three, ten twenty p.m. Um, just kind of have a chill little episode. Maybe another one coming out tonight as well. I wanted to go over some player stats and team stats for the USFL season thus far. Um, maybe go in depth on some guys that you haven't heard of before. Uh, maybe get you guys on. Some new players. Uh, To those of you that don't know what the USFL is, uh, it's a pretty big part of our show, pretty big part of our talk show on Blog Talk as well. Um, It is a alternative spring slash summertime professional football league, and it's really fun to watch. Uh, it, It existed for I think four or yeah four years in the '80s, and then this is its second season. Uh, after last year, um, so they're trying to make a you know another pro league for football um, during kind of like an open time slot on you know cable and stuff like that. Other than obviously you have like the big NBA playoff games as well as NHL. Um, if you're in a NASCAR that's going on right now, same with MLB. Um, so this is kind of like another you know pool of gold, sports gold to uh, dip your toes into, in my opinion. A lot of really good play a lot of really cool stories to follow um, but for right now I just want to kind of go over the stat leaders for the USFL's second season here and some of these guys are returning players a lot of them are returning players but uh, some standouts here the passing yard leader um, is McCloy Bethel Thompson New Orleans quarterback with 554 passing yards in two weeks that's pretty impressive in my opinion Passing touchdown leader is Alex Magoo, quarterback for the Birmingham Stallions with five passing touchdowns in two weeks of ball. Rushing yard uh, leader is actually tied between Reggie Corbin, running back for the Michigan Panthers, number three, and Darius Victor, number 27, running back for the New Jersey Generals with 160 rushing yards. So they're tied with the uh, leader there. Um, Rushing touchdowns, TJ Pledger. Uh, running back for the Houston Gamblers with three rushing touchdowns in three weeks, been pretty solid for them. Their only outlet of rush attack until Mark Thompson gets on the field. I think he's still dealing with a little injury, so we might see him mid-season or hopefully Week Three. Because as soon as he gets in, their their whole offense will turn up. Um, receiving yard leader Sage Surratt, tight end for the New Orleans Breakers. He is a dog. He has 206 receiving yards in two weeks of football. 16 catches, I believe. I mean, he's been going off. He's open every play. Um, Receiving touchdown leader is Justin Hall with two receiving touchdowns. He's a wide receiver for the Houston Gamblers. If you guys didn't get to see him this past Saturday, he balled out. I I think he's 5'8". Shorter guy, but playmaker, good hands, and he's very agile. Definitely someone to look out for. I think he's number 17 for the Maulers, wide receiver, as I said. Kicking point leader. Um, is Matt Coughlin, New Orleans kicker, with 24 points, um, which that's pretty good. Um, I know most of their offensive output in Week 1 was field goals, and if I'm not mistaken, he's yet to miss a field goal or extra point. I'm knocking on wood for you, Matt, but that's fairly impressive. Um, Kick kick return yard leader. We have Anthony Ratcliffe-Williams, wide receiver for the Houston Gamblers, 210 kicking return yards, and he actually got a special teams player of the week in week two, and we talked about him for a little bit. Um, really good player. Excited to see what he has for the rest of the season for the Gamblers. Um, and then punt return yard leader Isaiah Henney, wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Maulers. He's a guy that I, I've been a huge fan of since season one. Uh, he lost his tooth, getting you know he got a he took a big hit, and he got back in the game. He's a returning player, and he deserves some spotlight. He's been. One of the only bright pieces of that team in Pittsburgh there. Um, and then the interception leader, Amani Dennis, cornerback for the Philadelphia Stars with two interceptions in two weeks. Very good. Very good. One a week on average there. But he actually got both of them uh, in week two. Uh, total tackle leader, um, Kava Tezzino, linebacker for the Pittsburgh Maulers, 22 tackles in two weeks. He had 13 of those in week two. He's a He's a dog. He's... Been going off. Really, really good linebacking core for the Pittsburgh Maulers. They have Ruben Foster and uh, Kaiva Tazino. I hope I'm not butchering your first name there, sir. And then the sack leader of the of the USFL right now in two weeks is Breland Speaks, uh, edge rusher uh, from the uh, he's on the Michigan Panthers, but he's also seen a ton of NFL time. Uh, I imagine he's going to be trying to return to a practice squad or something after this season because he's dominating four sacks in two weeks. I mean, if he continues this up, I don't know. It's the only reason why Michigan is so good is their defense is just very, very, very disruptive. So something to look out for. Points leader, Alex Magoo, quarterback for the Birmingham Stallions with 36 points. He's gotten rushing touchdowns. He's, throwing, he's leading and passing touchdowns. He is... Probably my MVP candidate right now through two weeks. All-purpose yards leader is Anthony Ratcliffe-Williams, wide receiver for the Houston Gamblers. You heard his name for the kick return yard leader. He has 318 all-purpose yards. Um, Very impressive through two weeks. Kickoff touchback leader is Brandon Aubrey, one touchback um, kicker for the Birmingham Stallions. And then punt net average, Brandon Wright the Memphis Showboats with 43.0 net average of a punt. It's not bad. Those averages will kind of flatten out, um, I guess, throughout you know, throughout the season, obviously. It might get better or worse. Um, and now I kind of wanted to go on to the team stats so we can kind of get a gist of who's leading what category as a team. After all, football is a team sport. You need... Um, All 11 guys on the field for your squad at that time to operate and execute and communicate. And these stats are going to kind of give us a little bit of an indication of where some teams lack and some teams are clearly thriving. Um, But the passing yards per game leader is the Birmingham Stallions with 257 passing yards per game. That's really good for this league. Rushing yards per game leader is the New Jersey Generals with 154.5 rushing yards per game. That is disgusting. That is disgusting. I can kind of see why Darius Victor is tied for rushing yard leader with 160. I mean, he's been doing really good things through two weeks. Kicking point leader. Oh, that's really sad for the Maulers, but 24 points from the Maulers. Kicking, uh, kicking points. They're leading the USFL in that category. Kick return average, average, excuse me, the Houston Gamblers with 28.8 kick return average yards, punt return average yards. Isaiah Henney is returning their punts for them, so it's they're leading this category as well, uh, 20.6 punt return average yards. So that's pretty awesome for the Maulers that their special teams are at least doing something on, good on paper. Um, points allowed, the Stallions 10 points allowed. Holy shit. They're the best team in the league. 10 points allowed in two weeks. That's that's something. Third down percentage, the Stallions again, 55% on third down. Again, that's above that 50% mark, and honestly, that's all you can kind of hope for, and especially in leagues like this where offensive line play is lackluster. There are going to be drops and bad throws from quarterbacks, but that's really kind of surprising. Those numbers will increase, or honestly decrease, throughout the season. Yards per game. The Stallions, 386.5 yards per game. That's impressive. Turnover differential. I think this is, yeah, so turnovers in general, produced or created? I'm not sure. I think this is, created turnovers and the Panthers are leading with 5. Um that's just a weird stat line how they have it on the USFL app. Um I wish they would clarify that a little bit. But the kickoff touchback percentage, uh the Panthers 16.7% uh lead that category. And then the punt net average. <laughs> Again, the Memphis Showboats with 43 net average punt yards. So that's the only stat like category they've led their punters just really good (laughs) yeah the Memphis showboats are incredibly lackluster um but yeah those are some of the statistics I guess through two weeks of uh, the USFL some of the individual stat leaders as well as obviously the uh, team stat leaders um but I did kind of want to talk about um some other USFL news um that we weren't able to touch up on on our recap slash power rankings 3.0 episode. If you guys haven't listened to that, I really suggest that you do. Um, but Reggie Corbin, um, running back for the Michigan Panthers, number three, returning player. He had 517 rushing yards, and I believe it was six or seven starts last year, but I don't know if he started all of those games. I know he played in at least six or seven, dealt with a little injury last year, uh, mid year, missed two or three weeks. And Plus, the Panthers sucked last year. But this year, they look really good, especially with him at helm. I mean, last week we kind of saw Josh Love take a step back in his play, make some turnovers, make some mistakes. It was a rainy game, hazardous conditions, but what I really saw more than anything is that Reggie Corbin is going to be the reason why they make the playoffs this year. He is dynamic. He has Stevie Scott as his number two guy. They alternate these two guys. Stevie Scott is the power rusher. Then Reggie is just the speedster that can hit the gap, who also is kind of built like Doug Martin, but has way more quickness to him, in my personal opinion. Obviously, if I was at one of these games, like if you could like take a live image of like an NFL running back to some of these running backs, it'd probably be a massive difference. But I think Reggie Corbin is one running back in this league that now there's a couple that deserve a, a shot up in the next level, but I think he definitely could genuinely be A running back three or two on a on a team like a legitimate playoff contending team i think he would be a legitimate piece to add um and if scouts which i know scouts for the nfl are watching these games and watching these alternative leagues just to see if any diamonds slip through the cracks there but uh, truthfully um he definitely deserves a shot in the big league. Um, He has that versatility, he has the speed, he has the power, he has the agility, he has the footwork. And a lot of these guys that are on these better squads in this league will probably um, at least get a call up to a practice squad. Um, And we talked about our predictions for week three. I just kind of wanted to also discuss without talking about predictions or power rankings because that's a kind of a separate series for this but this is kind of more of a i want to give a background on how maybe i think the usfl is doing what i'm getting from twitter and instagram and i guess social media in general um is that it's well received it's just that the hub model is definitely bothering people um And I get it. It's a good business model and a good foundation to build because you're trying to grow fan bases before plopping these teams in their respective cities, which I get. Um, And they kind of have to bring this league's fan base back from nothing. It's been absent for a long time. So I'm hopeful that they'll be able to do that. Um, And if they keep to this model and hopefully get all of these eight teams... Because there's three playing in their respective cities right now. If they can get the other five next year in their respective cities, we'll see a massive jump in attendance and viewership for this league, in my opinion. Because when I look at the quality of the league, not just the play, which the play, in my opinion, is a lot better than the XFL, with just mainly some of the rules. Um, And again, I'm not trying to pin these leagues against each other. It's just, I think one seems more professional than the other. The XFL's players didn't unionize. Some of the rules I dislike, I don't really like the kickoff. I don't like the one foot in bounds catch rule. And I I, I like some of the actual modernization steps that the USFL took to make the game legitimately really good. Like a like what you see, it, the quality of play isn't going to be NFL caliber, but the rules and like how the game should be in my opinion, is what the USFL has done. Incomplete passes, don't stop the clock outside of, I think, the five-minute mark in the second and fourth quarter. The game isn't slowed down. It's fast-paced. They encourage kickoff and punt returns by um, allowing the formations to be different and safer so that there's not high collisions but more returns. I like the steps that they have taken with the uh, roughening the passer review rule The three quarterback rule. I really like that these are like new, not new concepts or new ideas, but like new additions to a pro league. And I I respect that. And we saw the XFL kind of keep it simple, but like they're definitely encouraging more points to be scored. But I noticed one thing about these two leagues. It's way harder to even like run an offensive play in the USFL than it is in the XFL. And I don't think it comes down to coaching. I just think that the quality of challenge in the USFL, like the talent levels are more equal and it's more competitive, is why we see some of those lackluster defensive games. Because like, when all else fails in the field, you're going to have a chess match between two coaches. And you can actually see that with a lot of veteran um, like. NFL experience with some of these uh, head coaches and coaching staffs and I can get that vibe from it that they're actually trying to build something sound and professional despite what their live attendance is they did great in the championship game they had a good playoff hub last year in Canton their opening weekends have been successful social media presences are growing for each team but I'd like to say one thing that the USFL has over the XFL by a mile. It's the production value of the actual displays of the games, like the scoreboards, the transitions, the advertisements. I think it's a way cleaner and well, like a well-done look, and it's executed properly to where it's catchy. Like the whole media day with that like cool-ass LED tunnel that they still use in their ads and their new song, like their new league song they have and Uh, like Hulu ads and stuff like that. I think it's important to catch people's eyes like that. And obviously the rebranding of some of the teams, they weren't afraid to move the bandits to make them the showboats. They weren't afraid to get rid of the Pittsburgh modeler colors and make it more of a Pittsburgh traditional kind of professional sports team scheme. Um, And I appreciate that. And I think, again, as soon as these teams move into their respective cities, I think you'll see a larger fan base than people give it credit for. And... I'm excited about it, I really am, it's, a, it's pretty telling, because I was talking to my mom, just as like a perspective question, I'm like, which, if I told you one league didn't have a union for the players, and one league did, which one seems more professional, which one seems more sound and secure, and she straight up said the team, the, the league with the unionization for the players to make sure that they're safe and secure through any kind of you know situation, and that's one thing I would like to point out that kind of keeps keeps getting overlooked, is that the USFL seems to be doing things the right way. And week two viewership ratings did come in a little lower than expected, with the first game averaging, I think, 133,000 viewers on USA. That's USA, though. The second game, the Birmingham Stallions, when they demolished the Memphis Showboats, I think they had over 725,000 viewers on average. And then the first game of Sunday, which was... Oh, gosh, which game was that? The New Jersey Generals versus the Pittsburgh Maulers had over 725,000 on average as well. And then the last game of the week, which was my game of the week, honestly, and we talked about this in the pod prior to week two, but the Philadelphia Stars versus the Michigan Panthers, they only got 388,000 on average. But it seems to be consistent with, again, which teams are playing where. Because the teams that do play in the respective cities do draw a bit of an attendance. Do draw that TV viewership because they got the people at home, you know, rooting for them. You know, in Birmingham, in Memphis, in Detroit slash Michigan. It's just a lot more helpful when these clubs actually have a setting to back them up. Because the Michigan Panthers have a Rocket Mortgage uh, logo on their... Uh, jerseys they were sponsored by rocket mortgage because they're with ford field memphis showboats they're getting a ton of advertisement for fedex because the owner of fedex uh not the owner but like a ceo or a very high higher up executive is was like he was a former fedex like ceo or executive but now he's the mayor of memphis so he's been advertising fedex and stuff and then birmingham is just it's probably the most consistent fan base since it started there uh, in 2022 but again, I mean, once once those kind of things get, you know, refined and put together properly, then I can start seeing this league take off to different heights. Where they add more teams, they add more regular season weeks, they add more. Um, maybe they make divisions when they get to that 12-team league spot. But as of right now, with only eight teams, I like the two conferences. It just it's clean. Um, but another thing, again, I, I touched on a little bit in episodes prior. But the XFL is having a little bit of controversy regarding the fact that the BattleHawks, the St. Louis BattleHawks, um, missed the playoffs at seven and three, and the Arlington Renegades got in at four and six, and it had something to do with point differentials, and it just got so complicated for no reason. I mean, when you read the graphic, it makes sense, I guess, with what the like with the rules they made for it. But like there should be an exception. A team that went way above five hundred is missing the playoffs for a team that was a game below five hundred. And I get that it's happened in the NFL, but dude, a seven and three team to a four and six team, come on. You're just letting whoever's playing that four and six team just come away with a win. And to tell you the truth, I you know, I, I support all sports, all competition. But I genuinely and you know me and my friends and my brothers, you know, we, we have the same kind of opinion on the XFL, that it's just goofy, it's kind of arcade it just seems like a lesser league. Um, and that's the league I can genuinely see getting bought out by the NFL, to be like a G League type of thing, um, which would be awesome. But I just don't think that's the route of the USFL. I think that they're actually going to try and create a sustainable league um, that can work for what not only it's given, but it can kind of make its own name. And I know it tried in the 80s, but that was a different time. I think now more than ever is the perfect time to seize an opportunity like that, because not only do you have competition with the XFL, but I mean, you have this whole massive time in the summer where there's no football being played. And the NFL is always in a need of good players. That should always be the bars to get your guys elevated to that position. But I mean, what if you could make something that's not as good as the NFL, but it's its own thing in its own way? And I respect the the creativity that the USFL has used more than anything. They've gone at it in its own way, and they haven't backed down from it. And I really think that that might be the recipe for success is consistency. And if we can see more of that, just not only with the play, because the play is... You know, the play is going to be good. There's good players, good teams, good coaches, good parts within this league. But it's just a matter of we need the consistency, not only in attendance at some of these actually home-played you know games with home teams, but we need to see more of a viewership presence. USA needs to do a better job marketing for their, for their time slot for the USFL. I don't know what that contract is, is with Fox. I don't know if they're going to take a look at that again, maybe try and do something different this weekend, which honestly, if I was them, I'd literally put two games on NBC, two games on Fox. I mean, it might cost less to air it on USA, but like you're reaching less people. And that was the best game of the weekend that hit the least amount of people. The Houston Gamblers versus the New Orleans Breakers, 38-31. to It was a high-scoring perfect game to showcase a ton of people that this league is capable of you know having good quarterback play having those kind of offensive shootouts that it's so loved in the NFL and that was the perfect game to show the world but it didn't reach that many people because again it's on USA the games when they're on Fox they are consistent like consistent never below like not this year I don't think I saw one below 700,000. I might be corrected, but genuinely, through weeks one and two, if if it was on Fox, then it did well. It did great. So it's just going to be something to keep an eye out for if there's going to be any more kind of patterns along those lines with some of the viewership. Um, but again, I mean, streamer numbers are not included, and they do have a deal with NBC and Peacock. And obviously, um, I don't know if you guys knew this, but you guys can actually go back and watch most of the season one and the united by football series they did with season one on tubi tv for free um i don't know if you guys have that app anywhere um but uh definitely you know if you guys are interested in trying to catch up definitely a good place to look for some usfl content and like i said they actually do have an app that gives you the stats and the standings and the you know the schedules and they you know, also have the link to the shop in there and they're dropping new merch all the time And it's pretty clean in my opinion. I'd rather be buying this merch than a $190 XFL jersey Some guy posted a video on Twitter. He's like, "Yo, I just got my Arlington Renegades jersey in and it wasn't even like Under Armour It was just like a fucking t-shirt like Under Armour makes the XFL jerseys, but like they don't make the merch I guess so I I don't know A weird thing Because I didn't see any Under Armour logo at all It may have been dry fit So it still may have been nice quality But, like, bro If I'm paying $190 for a fucking jersey I want the goddamn, like, actual sponsorship Like, the the company that's making the, the logos And, like, the jerseys for the fucking teams Like, I want that I want that I don't want some you know kind of weirder alternative that's still costing me an arm and a leg I could literally buy two USFL jerseys and like a cup or a beanie with that like that's crazy to me and like There's people out there that are gonna buy it and I you know to each their own but like that's just stupid in my opinion like that seems like kind of a You know just a money pincher kind of thing, but it, it, They got to make money somehow and I guess that's how they're really plan on doing it other than live attendance because I will say this week one, their viewership did struggle by over a million to the USFL's opening weekend, and they they were in week nine at that time, and this was the final week that just passed in their regular season, so their playoffs are going to be starting I believe this upcoming weekend, and I will say one thing, I will just be checking the scores. I have no intention of watching the playoffs in this league, call me a hater, call me whatever you want, but after the Battle Hawks didn't make it in at 7-3, and three, I don't even want to watch it like, I really don't, especially when, whenever I watch an XFL game, all I hear are the over-under betting odds, like, from the commentators, like, I can't, like, not, let me just say this, the production value for the XFL, like, the filming, and, like, the TV set, and whatever, it's shit, like, bro, there was one game, a Vegas Vipers game, we're destroying, love the guy, love his content, but he was literally taking up half the screen and like, a dual monitor kind of setup on live television for the entire third quarter. Like, walking around, having a fun time, cool content, but bro, I'm trust like, play the game. Let me see the game full screen, I don't need to see Destroying walking around on the sideline. I mean, it was better than the game, and then also Cashman Field, oh my god, if you guys have, uh, please go look it up, the Vegas Vipers home field, it's one of the worst football fields I've ever actually seen on live television. The scaffolding all over the sides and in the background and shit and then you had tire tracks all over the field. Like it was just weird. There was like maybe six to seven thousand people there every time, but it's like what a shit stadium. Like I'm so sorry that if you're a fan, like but the Vegas Vipers probably did have the coolest uniforms, but they were terrible as well. I mean it, it was just it was disappointing because you see Rod Woodson, you see Heinz Ward, you see all like Wade Phillips, and he's coaching the best team probably in the XFL in my opinion with the Roughnecks. Um, and I just wish like I expected more, I expected more like splash plays, bigger plays, like better quarterback play for sure. The San Antonio Brahmas were terrible the fucking uh, Renegades were rough. I mean, I I don't know what else to say about the league other than legitimately if you want to watch a league where every single team would get smoked by any division 1 and most division 2 football teams in college, then that's the league you want to watch. The USFL, you can take one or two teams and say, "You know what? That team might actually put up a fight against that big school." type shit. I'm just saying, like, that's kind of the floor is college-level ball. The ceiling is, you know, you would hope backup or preseason-level NFL play. And that's what I feel like I get in the USFL, and I appreciate that because it feels more like a pro league. And I think that's more catchy to me than watching, you know, granted a packed stadium for the St. Louis Battlehawks, but when A.J. McCarron just is throwing six touchdowns in a game against... Like, literally, I don't even know where the defense was that game. Like, no one should be doing that, bro. And A.J. – it's fucking – it's A.J. McCarron. I was watching this YouTube video as well about how this guy was kind of comparing these two leagues as well. And he was talking about, you know, he very obviously has a bias like I do to where he's gravitating towards one league. And he's like, you know what the XFL has that the USFL doesn't? Ben DiNucci. And it's like, dude, What? I saw Ben Danucci in the NFL. We already know what he is. We already know what he is. Until they can produce like a Cavante Turpin, I don't care honestly about Ben Danucci or AJ McCarron. Failed backups, one failed starter. I- I'm good. Like the quarterback play, in my opinion, is way more enticing in the USFL as well as just the overall skill sets of some of the players that actually do get the spotlight. Cavante Turpin was a fucking wide receiver slash slot slash kick and punt returner for the uh, New Jersey Generals in season one. USFL MVP, all USFL returner and wide receiver. First year in the fucking NFL. You know what this guy does? All All Pro, all NFL team, Pro Bowl. Two more years on his fucking deal. His life changed. And granted, we haven't been able to say that about the XFL, except other than you know maybe Taylor Heineke and PJ Walker. But I mean, like I haven't seen someone from any of these alt leagues make an impact like Cavante Turpin did. And I am so excited to see Cavante Turpin in his second season. I guess that's kind of a, a good way to wrap it up. I might be getting that Cavante Turpin jersey for the Cowboys. I hate the Cowboys, but I love Cavante Turpin. Shout out to Cavante. Shout out to everyone in the USFL that's balling out and the XFL, despite what you guys may assume that I think about the league. Um, But definitely, you know, if you aren't watching these alternative leagues, you need to be, especially if you love football. If you like football, love the story, love, you know, certain position, you'll find something in in either of these leagues. And it's genuinely buyer's choice to each his own. But, um, I mean, you'll clearly see which league has the more pro foundation in my personal opinion that is trying to make players better and elevate them Um, and then the other that's just trying to put on some good entertainment so that'll be for you to decide but this was kind of a USFL and chill episode again I think this is my second one um, that I've done on the pod just kind of by myself talking about stats and shit so if you guys enjoy these types of episodes talking about you know one specific thing um, going in depth on it more solo episodes where there's just one person on the mic. You guys just interact with us at Tea Time Reports at Twitter and at Instagram. Check us out on there. DM us, uh, like our stuff. We have our mock drafts and stuff up there. We have some cool interactive photos and reels you guys can check out, plus our songs of the day. Um, Yeah, we're, we're just trying to get better and be more efficient and professional as we go along as well. So it is greatly appreciated to all of you out there that's tuning in. Uh, to our listeners in west africa and belgium and australia we, we appreciate you and we love you and you guys have a great rest of your evening take care now